Hey there, thanks for joining us for today's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you're here. You're about to hear an incredible message from our pastor, Terry Haight. But before we get started, we'd like you to consider partnering with us. Our heart is to spread Jesus' message of hope to the world. If you'd like to sow into that mission, please visit hermesonassembly.com and click the Give button. Thank you so much for your generosity. Now enjoy this message. Luke chapter 19. You heard my heart last week, and, and, uh, and I want to dig deeper on this today. Luke chapter 19. Many of you will recognize this story. Um, the title of this word today is, I'm coming to your house today. Anybody remember that story? Anybody know who that's alluding to? I'm coming to your house today. This is, in fact, this ought to become your prayer for your friends, your family. You're saying, Lord, give me an opportunity. God, open a door. I want to go to their house today. I want to meet them on the job. I want to have lunch with them and have a discussion, have a talk. I want to, I want to be Jesus to them today. And so as you read this story, this is a story about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. The word says, And Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, how many of you know God loves short people too? God loves tall people. God loves big brawny men like Stephen over here. And God loves little scrawny guys like me. God loves us all, right? And so the word says he was, he was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, because he, and because, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. <clears throat> And all the people, verse 7, saw this, and they began to mutter, quote, saying this, He has gone to, the, to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I, ha- I, w- I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want to talk about those things that are lost that Jesus has come to find. Amen? He's come to deliver. He's come to bring them into the family. Will you just pray with me for a moment? Lord, we just pause for this moment, dear God, as we consider the the names of the individuals that we have written down in the last two weeks, dear God, the last three weeks, Lord. And even for those who are writing names down today, God, I pray, Lord, there are Zacchaeuses among them. There are Peters among them. There are Johns among them. There are Timothys among them. There are uh, Matthewses among them. There are Thomases, doubting Thomases among them, dear God. There are future believers among them, Lord men and women and boys and girls that you love, dear God. And I pray today, dear God, as we continue to pray and as we continue to fast over these names and these family members, Lord, God, that you would do something in us, 
Because God, we cannot offer something we ourselves do not have. We cannot share an experience that we do not have. And so I pray today, dear God, before they see Jesus in us, may we see Jesus, dear God. And so God, we give you all honor and praise in this house. And everybody says amen and amen. In the last couple of weeks, the first time I spoke on this series, I talked about Paradise Lost, talking about, can you imagine a world without evil? A world of unbroken relationship with God the Father. The Bible says that God the Father, that every day that he would speak, and particularly in the cool of the evening, he was with them all the time, but in the cool of the evening he would speak, and they would have conversations, and they would have just, uh, there, was, there was nothing hindering them from ever talking openly to God the Father. How many, of you, how many of you know that that is what God wants for every one of us? He wants unbroken, undefiled, no condemnation, intimacy with each one of us. In fact, there is coming a day, the Bible says, that every, that, that every tear will be wiped away, every sorrow, no more separation, no more sin. There's coming a day that we will see the garden for ourselves. And in that garden in heaven, the word tells us in Revelations, there will be that tree of eternal life. And so there'll be a time where there will be unbroken fellowship. But in the meantime, Jesus prayed the prayer. He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it is God's will for us right now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have fellowship with him. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have intimacy with him and to talk to him and, 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 and have endless chats with him. Amen? Uh, unbroken conversations. And so, but we know that because of a moment of pride and a moment of selfishness that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And then the Bible says that by one man, sin entered the world and it changed everything. But then we find here, the second Sunday we spoke on this, I talked about the joy of finding lost things, humanity being lost, and the fact that Jesus, like the parable talks about, like a man who finds a treasure in a field, he finds it, he reburies it, and the word says he goes and sells everything that he had in order to purchase that field. How many of you know that we are the field? That Jesus found us, he, see, he saw us as people separated from God, and he said, I'm willing to give my everything, I'm willing to give my all, I'm willing to give all the wealth of heaven just to have that field called earth, have that field, God's creation. And so today I want to talk about the lost are looking for the real Jesus. We see here that Jesus was going into the city, and, and these are just some natural observations I'm making before I get into my application here, but we see here that Jesus was coming to town. The, the, the city of Jericho was in a buzz. It was a very large city. In fact, it's known as the city of palm trees, the city of palms. It was a vacation spot for kings and, and even uh, priests and Levites. In fact, that story he told of the Good Samaritan, he was talking of something that really, that, of a road between Jerusalem and Jericho that, that really transpired, that this really happened, that it wasn't just hearsay, but rather he was giving a story about a Levite and a priest on their way to Jericho to spend some time off. And on their way, they saw this man lying in the gutter. 
How many of you know, how many of you can say to yourself, you know what, I hate being inconvenienced? You know, when I'm on my way to do something and I see a need, that was what Jesus was addressing the Sadducees and the Pharisees about. So Jericho was a common place. Jesus had gone there a couple times, and it was a populated city. It was a big city. And, and by now, the word of him was coming, and the streets were filling up as he was coming down the streets. And so Zacchaeus obviously had heard a lot about this Jesus. And, and you know, this was during the day when there was no Facebook or Instagram or newspapers or evening news. He didn't know what he looked like. And the only way people would know who so-and-so looked like would be to see them face to face. And all of a sudden, he hears the buzz going on. He hears people saying, hey, Jesus is coming. He's coming down this street. He's going down that avenue. This is the direction he's going in. And people began to congregate. And we see this man, Zacchaeus. It's interesting to me that they would actually give a description of him. Number one, they gave us his name. Secondly, the word tells us that he was a tax collector. That's why he was referred to as a sinner. Because, in fact, he wasn't just any tax collector. He was the chief of tax collectors. He was considered a very bad guy. He was because in those days, tax collectors would collect taxes for Rome. And oftentimes, they would ask for more than what Rome was demanding. And they would take that money and put it in their own bank account. So if Rome was asking for $10 per family, a tax collector might ask for 15 and say, I'm pocketing the rest. And so this man, Zacchaeus, he had a reputation in town. They knew who he was. In fact, the Bible says that he was a very wealthy man. He was very rich. And the Bible also says that he was also a short man. I don't know if he was four foot two or what he was, but, but, he was, but they described him physically and as a result of his vertical deprivation, uh, he decided, he because if I'm going to get a look at this Jesus, I need to go down the street and find a place where I can see him. And the Bible says that he climbed a sycamore tree. And so for some reason, Zacchaeus, he had heard about him, but now he wanted to see him. Let me say it this way, and you'll see it on the slide here. People want to see the real Jesus. People want to see the real Jesus. They will see him through the value, and we'll see here in a moment, through the value that we display toward them. So Jesus is coming down the street, and, and it's amazing how, you know, as he's going down the street, people are demanding his attention. Uh, and, and Jesus is, is, is walking down the street. C crowds are gathering. And as he comes to the spot, he looks up in this tree, and he calls him by name. I don't know if it was a word of knowledge. I do know this, that Jesus says of himself, he says, I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it, meaning that he had already been in prayer for that day. In fact, it was his habit either to pray into the night or early in the morning, he would get up and spend time alone praying and talking to God. We see here that when he came upon the tree, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I am going to your house today. Do you all remember that little, the songs we sung as kids? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree and Jesus said, I'm going to your house today. Well, here we see that Jesus called him by name and, and called him down and says, listen, I'm going to your house. 
And the word says here that when all the crowd heard this, that they began to grumble about it. They began to mutter. They began to say, what is he doing? I mean, can you imagine such a person like Jesus coming into town and with his entourage of 12 disciples and he's performing miracles and you see signs and wonders and people are being healed and he chooses this guy that is known as the worst of the worst. How many of you know, there may be, maybe on some of the names you wrote down here on your list, maybe you took, maybe you said, you know what, God, I, 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 you know, I have a hard time believing it, but I'm going to write his name down. I'm going to write her name down. I'm going to believe for the impossible. Amen? Do you realize the Apostle Paul was one of those impossible people? They could never imagine him getting saved. But we see here that he said, I'm going to your house today, Zacchaeus. And so as he went to his house, the Bible says that Zacchaeus, you know, he wasn't there for very long, and Zacchaeus stood up, and he said, Lord, he said, if I have... He says, I'm going to take half my wealth and I'm going to give it away to the poor. And not only that, but if I am caught cheating with anybody, past, present, or future, he says, I'm going to repay them four times over. Now, what I find interesting in this passage is that Jesus is not recorded as having said anything up to that point. He had just arrived in the house of Zacchaeus. He's having lunch. Zacchaeus is blessing him with his you know, time in his house that day. And the word says all that Jesus ultimately spoke to him was salvation has come to this house because to this man too is now a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So I'm going to give you a few points here, observations I made about this. And, and, I, and I want you, I would, I would encourage you to take some notes here this morning. Because you've written down anywhere from, I saw one with one name. I saw some cards in here that have names. They probably fit 30 names on this little prayer card, back and front. And, and I, wanna, I, want you to, I wanna lead you through this. And I want you to think about this with your prayer card. Number one, we see here that Jesus showed him value. Jesus valued him. He was considered the worst of the worst. He was. Because I think in the day that we live in, and you'll see it in a moment, the day we live in, the church is more known for its condemnation than its reconciliation. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're known more for, uh, for judging individuals than to reconcile individuals back to God. I mean, all these years, I've been going down to Mardi Gras every year, taking a team down, and, and I've seen so many ways that people approach people. And so I want to share some of those with you here this morning. But I think that one way we can begin, because it was when Jesus valued Zacchaeus, in other words, that he made Zacchaeus, he made, he made Zacchaeus feel accepted. Zacchaeus belonged, ultimately, Zacchaeus belonged before he believed. He was accepted this Messiah, this Savior, this, this, this Son of God, this one who was healing the sick and raising the dead, that, before, that, that when he walked into Zacchaeus' house, he was telling Zacchaeus, I chose you today. I'm coming to your house today. 
God loves you. God considers you. You are valuable in the eyes of God. And as a result, we see that Zacchaeus came to the Lord, not because he was a son of Abraham, but because of his faith in Jesus Christ, because of his faith in God. And so I want to give you some ideas here how to value people. Number one, we first, and that's why we've been taking these prayer cards. That's why I've been writing them down. That's why three Sundays ago or two, two Sundays past, I said, let's spend the next 21 days in concerted prayer and fasting, taking time, pushing away from the dinner table or pushing away for a meal or instead of going to the lunch break on the job, go out in the back, on the back 40 of your workplace with your prayer card and pray over the individuals that you have written down and saying, Lord, I'm believing for their salvation. Now, I don't know a lot of these people, most of these people, but I have to tell you this, just in my time praying over and agreeing with you, some of you I recognize, most, of I, most names I do not recognize, but the Bible says when two or more agree on any one thing, and my prayer has been this, I'm saying, Lord, I am believing you in this person for Cynthia and Shana and Jason and Karen and, and Barbara. I'm believing for Gloria and Anna and Blanca and Pamela. I stand in agreement. And so when you begin to pray over these particular people, you know their faces, you know their names. It's interesting here how Jesus, he knew Zacchaeus by name. Before he even saw Zacchaeus, he had already been praying for Zacchaeus. Do you hear what I'm saying? But when you begin to pray over your names, God's going to begin to put their faces in your heart. You're going to begin seeing, and I guarantee you this if you do this, you'll begin to see these individuals in a whole new light. I challenge you to do this. When you begin to pray for them, have a notebook next to you, have a journal next to you, have a piece of paper next to you, and I want you, or even on the prayer, or even on their names, right next to their names, I want you to begin writing down what you believe God thinks about them. God will say, you know what, Cynthia is going through a bad breakup. Maybe I'm not just being, I'm just guessing here. But God, I, I, I see you the way God, I see her the way you see her, Lord. God, show me how you see her. I want to see her the way you see her, not the way Terry Hate sees her, not the way this, uh, you know, this man that falls short sees her. My, my opinions about her don't matter. What matters is what you have to say. And so I challenge you, pray over each name and do it daily. Make a part of your daily time with God. Say, Lord, I pray over them. Even if it's a quick prayer, even if it's 30 seconds, naming off these names. But I guarantee you this, that God will begin to reveal to you their real heart. And not only that, but God will begin to reveal to you how you can not just pray for them, but in the days to come, how you can approach them. So number one, pray. Number two, call them by name. I believe that we should, it's not, we don't just say, God, save them all. <laughs> but God, save Cynthia. God, save Jesse and Gabby and Bianca and Lorena. God, I present their names to you. I present them to you. How many of you know no one ever comes to the Lord outside of prayer? Someone, if you, if the fact that you're here today is because somebody prayed for you. You're praying for individuals that are going to soon be coming to church with you in just a few months, if not a few days. 
You're praying for them. You're believing God for them. So number one, pray for them. Number two, call them by name. Number three, we see it here. Go out of your way to spend time with them, to meet them. Jesus here was coming through the city of Jericho, and he, out of all the, all the people he could have had lunch with that day, he said, Zacchaeus, come down for I'm going to your house today. I'm coming to your place. And so we need to go out of our way to meet them. Maybe it's even a total stranger. You know, while you're praying for these individuals, God may open up an opportunity here. And I'm just giving you some practical steps. It's one thing to come to church and shout his praises and, and say, yes, God can. It's another thing when you step outside these four doors and you put your faith to work. Amen? It's not just saying, Lord, save them, but God, how do you want to use me to show the real Jesus? How do you want to use me? And it might not even, it might not be exclusively this list of people. It could be people that you've never met. The next time you go to Starbucks, the next time you hang out at Dutch Bros, or the next time you, you when you're getting your tires changed at Les Schwab and you're sitting there waiting on your tires and someone sits down near you, uh, it could be your neighbor uh, that is in need of something. Um, it could be something you can do to go out of your way to spend time with them and meet them. Maybe they have a hobby, an interest. Maybe they like fishing. Maybe they like working on cars. Maybe they like photography. Nathan last night went out with uh, one, someone he used to work with. I said, where are you going? He's like, I'm going out and just taking pictures. What's he doing? He's spending time with another young guy because he believes for his salvation. Amen? He's going out of his way. You know, all these points are good amen points. And then we see here, don't judge them. I said this earlier, the world is convinced that the church is more about condemning the lost than seeing them reconciled to God. I know we don't see it much around here, but this is what the world sees. The world sees a judgmental people. I said to you last week, talking about the elder brother, the elder brother to the prodigal son wouldn't come to the party. He was not forgiving of that younger brother. I believe that the key to some of the salvations on your list may be that you go to them and say, please forgive me. I apologize. I'm sorry. Please, I don't want anything to, because what are you saying is this, I don't want anything to hinder you from seeing Jesus. I don't want, I do not want to stand between you and heaven. I don't want to be one of those believers that are known for being critics rather than being lovers of God. We say we love God, but we turn around and we don't treat our neighbor. We don't love our neighbor as ourself. And we see here that Jesus, he went, everybody, if you recall the crowd, everybody knew Zacchaeus. Everybody knew him. They said, I can't believe he's going to the house of a sinner. I can't believe he's hanging out with so-and-so. I can't believe he's going to go into that house. But we see here that Jesus, he went into the homes of people who did not know God. Let me say it this way. And I was pondering this yesterday. When you read the Word of God, and this is a very critical point because I think so many of us fall into this trap. Because 
We look at our friends that are not saved. We look at our coworkers that don't know Christ and we see the thing that we see the lifestyle that they live. And we think that somehow witnessing to them is telling them and giving them a list of all their sins. Every time I go to Mardi Gras in, in, in February, I see people coming down the street with megaphones and, and we have our four or 500 students that go down there and we say, this is how we're gonna show Jesus on Bourbon Street. But then you have individuals, all kinds of other Christians that come down the street holding signs that say, and forgive my language, but say God hates fags and God hates sinners and God hates uh, prostitutes and God hates all, you know, all of these things. And all the world sees is that God hates, God hates, God hates. You hear what I'm saying? You may never say that to a family member, but your actions display it. Do you realize the only time, and I, and I kept thinking about this, to, if it was true, but whenever I read the New Testament in particular, the only time that Jesus ever, and even the epistles, the, like Paul or Peter or James, any time they would ever list sins and say, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom, who was he talking to? He was talking to the church. Why? Because the church should know. Because we know that if we claim to be Christian and yet our life has not changed, that something is wrong. If we're still sleeping with our girlfriend, something is wrong. If we're still addicted to something, something. If we're still gossiping and sowing discord in the name of God and judging people, then something is wrong. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I think oftentimes we mistake, we think somehow that that is witnessing. But, get, but understand this, that unbelievers do what unbelievers do. They don't see it as being something wrong. They see it as being acceptable and natural. And this is what I, I'm going to do whatever feels good at the moment. What we are really addressing is this, is not the list of, those things are a byproduct of the root problem, and that is disobedience to God. It goes all the way back to the garden when Adam and Eve, in a moment of saying, it looks good, I think it's good for me, and not only that, but it's going to make me awful smart, I'm going to be like God, because before that time, there was no sin. We cannot say it was sin that brought Adam and Eve down. No, it was their disobedience that introduced sin into the world. And now the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we're approaching our family members or our friends or our coworkers, we're not approaching them on the basis of all the bad stuff that we say they do, but we're approaching them on the fact that they are separated from God because of sin. Sin separates. And Jesus came and paid the price for sin. Amen? It's we as believers that have come into the kingdom and have come into the house of God that know, now that now we know, we see it as God sees it. We see right and wrong and sin and righteousness. And, and when we commit an act that we used to commit before we accepted Christ, now all of a sudden we become, we become grieved or sorrowful or even repentive. And say, God, turn me around. Because as I said a few weeks ago, our walk with God is not a list of do's and don'ts. Our walk with God is all about maintaining that love relationship with Jesus Christ. It's saying, Lord, I don't want to do anything that will come between me and you. If watching that program 
cuts me off from hearing your voice, and I'm not going to do it. If doing these activities are going are to hinder my ability to come to you with a clear conscience, then I don't want to do it because I don't want to lose this precious gift I have with you, this unbroken fellowship. Isn't that the way in relationships? Whether it's a husband and wife or two good friends, you know, you know it when you've done something that has broken off that relationship and you're saying, what can I do to get it back? That's really what it's all about with serving Jesus. It's all about maintaining, because if you're working on maintaining a love relationship with Jesus, you don't have to worry about the rest. Amen? You don't have to think to yourself, I hope I can get through the day without cussing. Or I hope I can get through the day without dropping a, uh, you know, saying something nasty about my coworker. I don't, you know, rather than living on that side of Christianity, you're living on the side of saying, Lord, I just want to spend time with you. God, I want to hear your voice. God, I want to know your presence. God, I want to hear what you have to say about me. And when we focus on that, then people begin to see the real Jesus. They don't see the condemner and the judge. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so we see here, 1 Timothy 2 says this. He says, and this is the heart of God. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceably and, and, quit, and, and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness that is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Matthew 12, this is, this is Jesus talking. Jesus cried out these words one day, and he says, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. And I have come as a light in the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, this is what he says, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that, has, uh, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying, you know what? The unbeliever, they're already standing judged. Judgment already awaits them. But what is our job? Our job is this is that they would see Jesus, is that they would know him. They know what we think. The world knows what the church thinks of them, and they, have an, and, and they resist it. So many times when I see those situations going on in public where I see someone condemning another for, the, for their acts of sin rather than addressing the separation from God, what happens? The world says, I don't want no part of it. I don't want to be a part of that kind of people. It's no better than what I have now. What does the word say about the church? It says, what, will we be, what should we be known for? What? For our love one for another. When you begin to, and like I said, I don't even know these people, but when you begin to pray over their names, you will find that God will cause you to be moved with compassion for the lost. It won't just be, Tino, the, co- the co-worker that you drive pizzas for or with, the guys that you drive pizzas with. It won't be, you know, your family business, Alex, uh, the people that work for you and your dad. It won't just be individuals, but now all of a sudden you see them the way God sees them. 
And then what did Jesus do lastly? He says, we see here that Jesus blessed him. He, st- he stood in Zacchaeus' house. This is what he said. You know, Zacchaeus had said, Lord, I'm going to give half of, my, half of everything to the poor, and I'm going to repay anybody four times over. And what was Jesus' response? He says, today salvation has come. What did Jesus do? He stood up in front of Zacchaeus and all of his family, and he honored him. He blessed him. He said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Not because he was a Jewish individual, but rather because he put his faith in God. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He blessed him. Romans 2.4 says it this way. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What's, the, what's, what's Paul saying here in the book of Romans? He is saying here, it is God's goodness. Look at Peter. When, Peter, when Jesus met Peter on the boat, he said, Peter, cast your net to the other side. Peter was a cussing sailor. He wasn't serving God. He didn't know God. He was a loud mouth. He, you know, we see, his, he, we see his, his life for the next three and a half years after he started following Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He said, Peter, cast your net to the other side. And what happened? The Bible says that his nets were so full they began to burst. And when he got them all in, what did Peter do? He said, Lord, please go away. I am unworthy to be in your presence. Had Jesus condemned him? Had Jesus ridiculed him? Had he judged him? No, he blessed him. I want to ask you today, how can you bless? Think of ways that you can be a blessing to those you've put on this list. I'll read the the steps again. Number one, pray for them. God will begin to give you eyes that see and ears that hear and have a heart for them. Call them by name. Not only call them out in prayer by name, but call them by name. And say, you know what? Jesus loves you. God cares for you. Thirdly, go out of your way to meet them. Say, hey, can we, I would like to just spend some time with you. Do you like to fish? Do you like to play ball? Do you like to go to the court club? What do you want to do? Spend time with them. And then lastly, you're not there to judge them. They're waiting for you to judge them, but instead, why don't you bless them? Instead, tell them how good God is and how, God, and how much God loves them. And you will find, as Paul says in the book of Romans 2, 4, he said, isn't it the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? Show them how good God is. Amen? Show them how good God is.